Good morning, and uh, welcome to Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday, and uh, normally we have a little bit different type of service than we have going on right now, but that's okay. Um, It's an unusual time in our world. A couple of announcements before we get into Revelation. Uh, One is we have created uh, on the website, if you go to the front page, a prayer list that we would like to keep current so you know who to pray for. So feel free to um, go there and let the church office know, let any of us know, staff, elders, if you have a prayer request and if you'd like us to put it on that page so the church can be praying for you. And um, as as you read the headlines... And you think about, I was just reading the headlines this morning about the cruise ship off of Florida. People haven't touched land for several weeks now, and they've already had two deaths. And when you see that sort of stuff, don't let it drag you down. Rather, let it point you to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Ask for his mercy for those people. We live in, um, we're, for those of you that are part of our church, we're Dillon Community Church in Dillon, Colorado. We're up in the high country. 9,000 feet, beautiful, and uh, we don't have um, near the problems that many other parts of the nation are having right now, and we're grateful for that. So we, um, we love to pray for our people. Our staff and elders pray regularly, and so go to the website and take a look at that. Um, today, from 12 to 1, we have communion, drive-through communion. Our staff was trying to think of ways, if you're feeling like us, we're missing you. We're missing being connected. And um, so we try to think of ways. We can't have you all here in the sanctuary. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. So how could we look in your eyes and bless you? And we thought, let's do drive-through communion. So from 12 to 1 today, uh, drive up, and uh, we have our staff will be here to serve you communion. We will be appropriate, you know, with gloves and masks and all that kind of stuff. We'll take care of you and keep it clean, but we would just look, love to look in your eyes and Bless you, serve you communion, and pray for you. So drive through and come and see. We will not be celebrating Easter next week. Um, we will be celebrating Easter, just not next week. You see, Easter was meant to be celebrated together as a community. And so we feel comfortable moving Easter to a little bit later when we are together. In, Hezek- in uh, 2 Chronicles 30, Hezekiah uh, was stuck with a dilemma because the nor- the northern kingdom had been destroyed and the refugees were all coming south. And so he wanted to celebrate Passover. The problem was he didn't have enough priests who had been purified and cleaned. The people had been purified and cleaned and it was the wrong time of the year. And he did it anyway because he saw the opportunity to bring a nation together and point them to the Lord. So he prayed, it's a great prayer, and said, Lord, we're, we're basically going to break the, your, the Mosaic law. We think you're okay with it, so bless us. And they celebrated Passover, and God blessed them and healed those who were sick. And so we feel very comfortable moving Easter till a time when this place is full of people. We want to celebrate it with you. But don't go too far away. Read the emails that come out, my emails I'm sending out once a week, because uh, we do have a surprise for you next week, just like we do today with drive through Communion. All right, we have uh, continued, we've, we've taken the Bible studies, by the way, I do every other week, and we've brought them every week. So if you want to tie in on Tuesday night, again, you can get the connection information from the website or my emails, either one, and uh, just to 
keep you going, keep you connected a little bit. And thank you once again for all of you that are, are giving through our online giving portal or sending checks in to our benevolence fund through our um, food bank to just taking care of our church. We're very grateful for that. We, uh, we have a lot of traffic right now, as you can imagine, with people that are frightened and nervous and are hurting. So please continue to uh, pray for those ministries. All right, it's the sixth Sunday of Lent. It's Palm Sunday. Normally this year, normally this Sunday, is when we have our children leading us in. Everybody's waving the palms. We can't do that this year. So I have a, a bigger question for you. How's your Lent going? How's it going in the middle of quarantine? It's not, I've never had a Lent like this. I've never had a Lent where I've been quarantined and I'm speaking to pretty much an empty sanctuary. Uh, But that's what we have. How's it going? Are you getting time to connect? Are you getting time to spend time with praying uh, to the Lord for all that's going on? Are you finding time to enrich the soul? Yes, this is a time when we are experiencing unprecedented concern, but don't let it panic you. We still have a God who's in control. Don't forget that. Okay, so where have we come? We've been looking at the prayers of the redeemed through Revelation and letting them kind of drive us in this Lenten season. So we started out with Revelation 4, the throne room, where we talked about heaven and earth coexist at the same time. That's why Paul says we're seated at the right hand of Christ right now. And John is given a glimpse, a door opens, if you will, a portal. He can see the other side, which we can't see yet. And then in Revelation 5, there's a scroll. It has seven seals on it. And uh, I've argued that the, suggested to you that the scroll was the plan of God for how to deal with everything that we have going on, everything from corruption to mismanagement to disease. And what's God's plan for that? Redemption and salvation. The scroll has the seven seals. And we went to Revelation 7 and looked at um, how God has sealed us. He broke six of the seals, which describe what's going on in our world. But before he breaks the seventh one, he seals or marks all of those who are his. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 1. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I think. Then we went to Revelation 11, where we're looking at the trumpets. We didn't look at the trumpets in detail, but the trumpets are the beginning of God's plan to help us understand what he's doing in this world. And uh, so we saw that. And then last week, we were in Revelation 12, and we saw the great war. We talked about the great war, and John saw two signs. There was a woman, and there was a dragon, a red dragon. And we find out that the red dragon is Satan. And we thank the woman because she gives birth to Jesus, the Messiah. The woman is, uh, the, ends up being the faith community. Starts out with Israel, but then it gets expanded to all those who believe in the Lord. And so they fly, they run away, on, or they fly away on eagle's wings to the wilderness, much like the Exodus. So just like last week, we're going to see uh, imagery from the Old Testament, specifically Exodus, all throughout this story. Today, we're going to talk about the end of God's wrath in Revelation 15. Okay, so we have Revelation 15, and it's a little bit of an interlude because they're singing the songs before the plagues are poured out. Well, before we get to this, this is Palm Sunday. So let me ask you a question. What attracts you to Christianity? What attracts you to Christianity? 
Now, I've had enough experience to know that there's a variety of answers out there that are going to come. Um, Rob mentioned Jesus coming in as a king, Matthew 21. In fact, it's in all four Gospels. Matthew 21, when Jesus comes in, they lay palms down and they lay coats down and they put him on a donkey and quote Zechariah, your king is coming. And they say, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's basically uh, a desire for him to um, become the king, take control. So they worship him as king coming in. But then a week later, they cry out, crucify him. The same people. Just only a week later, crucify him, crucify him. Why is that? Well, they wanted to crown him as king. What they didn't realize is that the thing that they were about to do when they executed him and crucified him was crown him as king. Just not the way they expected. You see, the answer to the question, what attracts you to Christianity, lies in how you view Jesus and what he accomplished. So the song that we're going to start with here of the redeemed gives us an intriguing answer to the true reason why people and the nations come to Christ. Why do the redeemed sing? I'm going to sing, read the very end of the song. We'll come back to the whole thing in just a minute. Revelation 15 and the second half of verse 4. All the nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. You could say it this way, because your judgments have been revealed. Some of the translations say that. Uh, when we think of God as judgment, uh, Tim, thanks for reading Psalm 98. It concludes that he will come and judge the earth fairly. And so this is how it ends. Your righteous acts, your judgments, your judgments of which are righteous have been revealed. He has judged the nations, judged the world. So why do the redeemed sing that all the nations will come and worship the true king because of his judgments? Why is this good news? Most of us think of judgment as a bad thing, not a good thing. And so why is this good news? I think it has to do with the fact that each of us struggles with injustice. Each of us. You know, I'm fighting health insurance company, two different fronts, from 2018, because they owe me money. And I cannot get them to pay me. And it just irks me. It's not right. It's not fair. All of you know what that's like. Many of you now are either furloughed or on part-time, and you're struggling to survive, and it's not right. By the way, if you need help, come talk to us. If your neighbor needs help, bring them to us, please. If you're an employer and uh, your employees are struggling, let us see if we can help you. We desire to do that. And so it's not right, and it's not fair. When we hear about corruption, there's something inside of us that goes, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, I travel to third world countries uh, two or three times a year, maybe not this year, but most years, and teach. And uh, I'm regularly talking to Christians in third world countries that corruption is the norm. We're not wired for that. We're not wired for these injustices. And so this is a, this is a statement that our God comes and he decides to rule fairly and make, put to rights all that is wrong. That's why it's good news. But then John, now remember, he's in a vision, okay? So now he sees another sign 
Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. Why is this a marvelous sign? Why does he call this a great and marvelous sign that the seven plagues he's about to dump on the earth? Well, I think it's marvelous, it's wonderful for several reasons. One is, with these plagues, which are in chapter 16 and on, uh, God's wrath is complete. It's finished. But there's more than that. Remember in Revelation 6, when we looked at the seals, the saints are crying out, How long, O Lord? How long? In fact, it's in chapter 6, verse 10. Here's the question that the saints are asking in the martyrs. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? You see, one of the themes now, we we now see it running all the way through Revelation, is that the world has abused the people of God. They have. They've taken advantage of them in every way you can imagine. They've murdered them. They've spilled their blood. They've stolen from them. They've done all those things. That's why all through the prophets, God says the blood of the, the marginalized, the widows, the orphans, the poor, it's rising up. It's crying out to him for justice. And so I think that's what's happening here, is that he's going to satisfy all of those injustices. But before he, identifies, before he identifies these last plagues, he sees something else to help us understand what the plagues are all about. Now, I've said all along, one of the common things in Revelation is that Old Testament imagery is all throughout. It's woven throughout the language, the allusions, the references, the citations. And so if you don't understand the Old Testament, Revelation is very difficult to grasp. And so the Old Testament imagery is used throughout. So I'm going to read. This is just before the Song of the Redeemed, verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant, Moses, and of the Lamb. Okay, so this right here is filled with all kinds of Old Testament imagery. For example, the plagues. We already understand the plagues. Almost every Christian knows the story of the Exodus and the ten plagues of Egypt where he basically destroyed the Egyptian gods and rescued them. So we already understand how the plagues overthrew Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. So we can see right here, just off the bat, that's what the job, that's what the responsibility of the plagues are, is to destroy all of our human gods and to overthrow evil. But he goes on. He has this sea of glass. Now, it's interesting because Jewish tradition has long conceived of the sea of glass by this time. They had long conceived of the sea of glass as depicting the Red Sea through which the Israelites had to pass. You see, in Israelite theology, the Red Sea or the sea represented a place of evil and was often associated, uh, connected with Pharaoh. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. One is Psalm 74. There's more than this, but I'll just read a couple Psalm 74, verse 12. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the waters. And I splitting open the sea. What's he talking about? Crossing the Red Sea. 
Well, if you go over to Ezekiel, it's another place that you find it. In Ezekiel chapter 32, in fact, the Song of the Redeemed, a lot of the language comes out of Ezekiel 32 and the song that they sang. So in verse 32, or chapter 32, verses 1 and 2, In the twelfth year and the twelfth month, on the first day, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like a lion among the nations. You are like a monster in the seas, thrashing about in the streams, in the water, churning the water at your feet and muddying the streams. So all throughout Israelite history, the ocean or the sea was a scary place. I won't go into how they connected it with the gods, but they saw it as a scary place. And so this, this sea of glass here probably represents a place of evil that was often connected with Pharaoh. In fact, in Revelation 13, the beast is shown as coming up out of the sea. You ever, you ever think about the fact that Israel really had no navy? It makes you wonder what was behind Peter's statement when he said, Lord, command me to come out and walk on the water. Maybe there's a lot more there than simply a miracle. Maybe it's the overcoming of a deeper fear about what lies underneath the sea. So what we now learn in this passage is that the saints were victorious over the beasts that had come up out of the sea. And so this is a place that was probably represented evil here. So then there's a reference to the Song of Moses, Revelation 15.3. He sang the song after they came through the Red Sea. And here's, I'm just going to read a few of the verses here. You don't have to turn there. Exodus 15. This is the song that Moses taught the Israelites. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Verse 8, by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the surging waters, the deep waters, he talks about it. And then it's interesting, when he gets to the end of the song, he says this in verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, these are his people, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, your sanctuary, Lord, your sanctuary, We're going to come to that in just a second. Because in verse 5, he says, After this I looked, saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law. So when you put all of this together, all of this imagery, here's what we can discern from this, this section. Once again, Exodus is dominating his vision. You see, the Exodus becomes the paradigm, if you will, to which uh, we understand all of New Testament theology, all of it. That's why Paul can say, you have been uh, brought out of slavery to sin and given your freedom. That's Exodus imagery. Peter can say um, that we are his holy people to, to proclaim the praises to the world of him who brought us out of darkness into light. That's Exodus imagery. In fact, when Jesus is talking to on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says they're talking about his exodus. He's leading his people in a new, a true exodus. And so we can see that. 
And so we also see from this that Pharaoh and the beast, they symbolize all of the evil powers that have ever existed. And so he is destroying all the evil powers and he's about to pour out the plagues to overturn all of our human gods that we've created. It appears that John, it appears to me, is now seeing the exodus through the lens of Christ, what we think of as a true exodus. We have led, been led from slavery to sin to freedom. So we've already connected the resurrection of Jesus with all that's happening in Revelation. Remember, he's the slain, uh, slain lamb of Revelation 5. He's the slain lamb who breaks all of the seals. He's the slain lamb who carries out God's plan of redemption. Throughout all of here, the lamb is sown as being slain. So he's already been crucified and now resurrected. So when we come to the Song of the Redeemed, um, that's in Revelation 15. Let me just read it for you. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations, that's our world, all the nations will come, before, will come to you and worship before you and your righteous acts or because your righteous acts have been revealed. Now remember way back when we said one of the things that differentiates us from the rest of the creation is that we have the answer, we can say, we're worshiping you because of this. Animals can't do that. And that's what happens here. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Okay, so this captures Moses' song in Exodus 15 by which he praises God for deliverance from the Egyptians. And I just read you several verses out of Exodus 15. Now we can see that God has delivered us by being the true king of the nations. So then why did the nations worship him? That's where we started. What attracts them to Christianity? Because God puts to rights all that is wrong in the world. That's why. He puts to rights all that is wrong, and that is our job as ambassadors who bring about reconciliation the message of reconciliation. That is our job. And so we represent him. Tim read in the beginning Psalm 98. Listen to Psalm 96. Some of these words. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Something new. And this is the new song right here. This is it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Now remember, he's getting ready to release these plagues. It's going to destroy all the idols, the human-made idols. But listen to where he ends up. Let the heavens rejoice. This is the end of Psalm 96. Very similar to Psalm 98. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. So we have all of creation, just like in Revelation, dancing up and down and celebrating and worshiping the Lord. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. 
Praise the Lord. It's all going to be fixed. It's all going to be fixed. The resurrection proved that the cross was God's great act of judgment by which he dealt with sin and death. So now we can see God's plan. He has judged evil at the cross as proven by the resurrection. All he has left to do now is pour out his wrath on evil and all that threatens his people. You see, the beasts have already been defeated. That's behind us. We're now heading to the final judgment that deals with the true nature of evil. We're going to answer the question, how long, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, until you judge? Revelation 6. John next sees a temple. Revelation 5. After this I looked and saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen, wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Again, a bunch of Old Testament imagery here. We're not going to take the time to look at it. This goes back to so many passages in the prophets. So, John sees the temple or the tabernacle from the Exodus wanderings. Out of this temple comes the seven angels with the seven plagues. The tabernacle has the covenant, the Ten Commandments. We saw a couple chapters ago that that's referring to God's faithfulness and all that he desires for his people. The point is that God is now sending judgment on all who reject his testimony and his covenant. The tabernacle is open symbolizing that God is now executing his final judgment. For the believers, earlier it symbolized that we now have access, but now it's symbolizing that he's finally executing his complete, ultimate, and final judgment. The final statement tells us something else in verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So now we learn something about God. You see, these judgments are God's judgments and no one else. They belong uniquely to God. You may remember Exodus 40, the tabernacle when it was completed was filled with smoke, God's presence. First Kings 8, Solomon is filled with his smoke. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah goes into the throne room, and it's, it's so much smoke The presence of God is so overwhelming, everybody falls to their knees. They fall to their knees. And so this is talking about God's overwhelming presence. No one, no one is able to hold back God's hand when he decides to execute his final judgment. When he decides, it's done. It's done. Okay, what do we learn from this? A couple of thoughts been arguing this all along, all of history can be viewed in terms of a cosmic war between God and Satan, which has already been won. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Secondly, we can now understand Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He is the true king who entered Jerusalem to bring salvation. The people unwittingly fulfilled God's plan when they crucified him. It was the crucifixion and resurrection that installed him as the king. They just didn't know they were doing it. 
We've learned from Revelation, it was the crucifixion that brought all of this judgment to bear, everything we've seen. It was the crucifixion that's answering the question, how long, O Lord? It was the crucifixion that brought God's final judgment on all the evil that exists. And we can praise him for his righteous judgments. Because as we have suffered, and all of us have, there will come a day when that will be put to right. And we'll see his righteous judgment, doing what we all are created to experience, doing what's right in a broken world. This is what Easter is all about. That's what the empty cross is all about. A resurrected Savior, a slain lamb, a lion of Judah, who puts it all to right. Father, thank you once again. We never tire of saying thank you for your goodness. We never tire of thanking you for your judgments. Thanking you because your judgments are right. They're good. Thank you for marking us out, sealing us, protecting us. Thank you for finally dealing with evil. We can't wait till the final mop up, the final cleanup is done. And we get to stand before you face to face as Moses did. We look forward to that. In your son's name, amen. Uh, Don't forget communion today from 12 to 1. Pull up in your cars. Do not get out of your cars. Pull up in your cars and let us serve you communion and bless you and pray for you. In the meantime, enjoy the peace of Christ.